The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. If you can only have five rounds in your gun, this gun probably isn't your gun. But if you want this gun, we'll sell you one and we absolutely would provide it a five-round magazine. It's The Big Take from Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio. I'm Wes Kosova. Today, how small gun makers are testing loopholes in gun control laws. In a string of big cases since 2008, the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that Americans have the right to keep guns in their homes for protection and to carry them in public. But the court has also been careful to say this Second Amendment right to bear arms is not absolute. The federal government and the states can require background checks and gun licenses. And they can place certain restrictions on who can buy guns and where they can be carried. States can also limit or outlaw certain weapons for public safety. It's that last part that we're talking about today. Several states do ban the sale of some kinds of guns, like AR-15-style rifles that often are used in the mass shootings that occur almost daily in the U.S., at least 589 mass shootings so far this year alone. And courts have largely upheld state laws limiting which guns can be sold. Now comes a new way gun manufacturers are testing the limits of these laws. Later on, you'll meet Rob Pincus, who you heard at the very top. He's a gun rights advocate who's also bringing his first gun to market. But first, to explain the rapid rise of small gun makers, I'm joined by Jason Grotto, an investigative reporter for Bloomberg in Chicago. Jason, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. Jason, you and your reporting partner, Mike Smith, have written a really interesting story about gun manufacturers and an increasingly popular way to make and buy guns. When we think about the gun control debate, a lot of it centers around should there be more regulation of who can buy? Should there be background checks if you buy a gun on the internet or at a gun show? But you're writing about something completely different, which is not about buying a gun, but about buying a gun in different pieces and putting it together yourself. Yeah, that's correct. So one of the thrusts of the story that we've done is the sort of do-it-yourself phenomenon within the gun industry. And, and a lot of it centers around AR-15-style rifles, which are, you know, some consider them, uh, depending on which side of the debate you're on, some will call them assault rifles. Others would call them modern sporting rifles. But these are guns that are component-based. The core of the gun is what's called the lower receiver, this is the piece sort of in the middle that houses the trigger, the firing pin. It's where the pistol grip or other type of grip will be inserted into. And it's threaded. It has threaded pieces that receive other parts of the gun, such as the barrel where the bullet comes out of and the stock, which is sort of the shoulder piece that leans up against your shoulder for when you fire it. 
And so these guns are made to be modular, that you can mix and match pieces. It's not like you have to buy it as it would come from a manufacturer. That's correct. You can buy it whole, but they come apart very easily. And there are technologies inside the gun that make it incredibly accurate and easy to shoot. So, for example, inside the stock going into the receiver, the upper, what they would call the upper part of the receiver, um, is something called a buffer weight, which kind of keeps the gun steady when you fire it so you don't have that kind of kick that you might associate with like a shotgun or something. So there's all kinds of things at play here that make these guns, you know, incredibly popular. And because they're component-based, one of the things that we found is that smaller manufacturers have really gotten into this game. And the AR-15 has become a very popular firearm. Of course, we hear about it quite a bit because it is sometimes used in mass shootings. And among people who buy them, they're popular because they're relatively inexpensive. They're, as you say, very accurate and um, you know, somewhat easy to use. And they're abundantly available. That's right. If you look at the federal statistics on gun manufacturing, whole completed rifles, the number of those, has fallen 36% since 2000. But the number of lower receivers has grown 4,000%. So this market has really exploded, and you're exactly right that one of the things driving it is this sort of ability to soup up your firearm. So it's, it's not unlike, you know, guys souping up their motorcycle, um, only now they're souping up, you know, these firearms. So there's from the enthusiast perspective why people would want to buy these, why the market is exploding for them. But from a law enforcement perspective, this kind of do-it-yourself popularity has all kinds of challenges, doesn't it? It can. I think the biggest issue in terms of public safety, I guess you would call it, is how lethal these types of weapons are. So some of the folks who advocate for stricter gun laws would say, well, you can't have a Formula One race car on the highway. You can still have a driver's license. You can still get a car, but you can't drive, you know, a race car on the highway. So if you look at mass shootings, one of the things you'll find is, you know, handguns are involved in most mass shootings and most shootings in general. And there are a lot more handguns out in circulation than assault rifles, so-called assault rifles. However, if you look at data on mass shootings from every town... I should say here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg News, founded and helps fund every town for gun safety, which advocates for universal background checks. You know, if you look at the data from every town, what you see is that assault rifles and high-capacity magazines that go with them, they account for 18% of the mass shootings in the U.S. since 2009, but 30% of the deaths and 75% of the wounded. So what is the argument in favor of it, given all that set of facts? So the folks in the industry and gun enthusiasts would say, and they do say literally, you cannot legislate away evil, that there is evil in the world. And uh, that comes amid the Second Amendment, which they read in a certain way that says you cannot curtail our right to own firearms. And that's really the debate, is how far does the Second Amendment go? 
and what right does government have to limit something that is in sort of the core constitutional provisions? Jason, in your story, you write that the ability to buy a gun in its individual parts and assemble it yourself has enabled people in some states to get around state laws which prohibit people from buying weapons like this. Yeah, so take a state like Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, they have a a so-called ban on assault weapons, and they literally list the weapons that you cannot buy. You cannot buy an AR-15, you cannot buy an AK-47, but what they say is you can't buy them whole. What you can do is you can buy a lower receiver, it has a serial number, and before you purchase it, you have to go through a background check. And so it's the same as buying a gun. Under federal law, that lower receiver, the part of the rifle that accepts all the other parts, is a firearm. Is the firearm. It's the only thing that they really track. And that's because without it, the heart of the the gun, without that, you can't do anything. That is the critical component. And so the part that they think should be regulated. Under federal statute, yes. In other countries, they regulate the barrels or other parts of the gun. But here in the U.S., we regulate the lower receiver. They do not regulate the barrel or the stock. That's not tracked at all. So you need to go through a background check to get the lower receiver, but then you can buy all the other parts and no one would ever know, and there's no tracking of that at all. And so that's exactly what people do. And that's then completely legal to do. Yep. And then is that gun legal in Massachusetts for someone to own? Mm-hmm. It is. Mm-hmm. In your story, you write about a small manufacturer of the kinds of weapons we're talking about here. And he originally was going to become a licensed gun dealer, but then took a different turn. Why do you do that? Yeah, so that's kind of the through line of our story is a company called Dark Storm Industries which is based on Long Island. And their original purpose was to have a gun shop. And two weeks before they started, however, the state of New York passed what's called the New York Safe Act, which restricts, you know, what kind of assault rifles you can have or you can sell. And that was what this company was planning on doing. They were planning on selling those kinds of rifles. And so what they started doing was two things. First, they started manufacturing lower receivers. And then they also began designing rifles that they would say complies with the laws of New York State. One of the things that the state did is it said, you cannot have a semi-automatic rifle that has a detachable magazine. And by magazine, I mean it's the piece of the gun, some people call it a clip. It's where the bullets go and you stick it into the lower receiver in the rifle. And some of those magazines can hold, you know, 30, 40, even 100 rounds uh, bullets in it. And so what the state wanted to do is they wanted to limit the number of rounds you could put inside one of these so-called assault rifles. And they did that by saying the magazine has to be fixed and it can have no more than 10 rounds in it. What these owners of this company did is Dark Storm is they patented a design where they created a, it's an AR-15, it looks exactly like an AR-15 and they used a small little screw and they fixed the magazine in there and now you can have an AR-15. And that has really upset assemblymen who co-sponsored the New York Safe Act. They look at that as a blatant violation of, of nothing else of the spirit of the law and supposedly are now 
requesting that the attorney general look into this to see if they can get some kind of injunction on selling these. And they're looking to potentially rewrite the law to close off what some would call a loophole, a design loophole that allowed them to sell these kinds of rifles in New York. They could also argue, the company, that they're just complying with the law. They found a way to meet the standard of the law. And so they are legal to sell. That's exactly right. During the 90s, we had a crime epidemic, and the federal government banned assault rifles. You could not buy one in the entire United States. That law ended in 2004. And people that want to restrict the type of weapons you can have to cut down on the gun violence, which is really high in the United States relative to other developed countries, They say we need another law like that, that you cannot do this in the piecemeal fashion that's being done right now across the country with different laws, that we need a federal law that tackles this, you know, what they would call a problem across the country. My conversation with Jason Grotto continues after the break. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher-level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. So the founders of Darkstorm, they found that it was actually easier to become a gun manufacturer than it was to become a licensed gun dealer. So there's a couple ironies there. The first one is the fee to get a manufacturer's license is just $150. If you've never committed a felony and can pass a background check, you're going to get a license as long as you have a place to operate out of. Advances in machine technology means you don't really even need to know much about making a gun. You don't have to have any prior experience. The other irony is that technology, coupled with the restrictions, opened up a market for Darkstorm. Because what we found is, and what they told us, the big gun makers, Colt, Smith & Wesson, you know, Glock, they're not going to retool their whole manufacturing operation in order to sell guns in New York. It's just not that big of a market. But Dark Storm, because they made a gun that specifically complied with New York's restrictions, they had a market that was tied up. And then what they did is they went and made a gun for Massachusetts, and they made one for Connecticut. Each one of them complying with the individual state laws. Exactly. And so these smaller manufacturers, they can operate at a smaller scale and be very profitable. Exactly. They're very nimble. So if they're all federally licensed... Mm-hmm. That means they're complying with federal regulations and means that the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, the ATF, has oversight of them. So does the ATF kind of look in on their operations, regulate what they're doing, and make sure these things are being manufactured and sold the right way? Well, so there you're hitting on another rub in this whole space, and that is... The ATF lacks the resources necessary to meet its own goals in overseeing these companies. So, for example, Dark Storm 
has never had a compliance inspection in the 10 years plus that it's been in operation. So ATF has never come by and said, hey, we want to look at your no, at your place. No, nope, they've never done it. And in fact, the data is hard to come by, but it's pretty clear from what data there is out there that they just don't have the manpower. In fact, they had a report that came out in May that said they would need to double their staffing levels for inspectors in order to inspect every gun licensee once every three years, not once every year, once every three years. Is there any effort to increase the ATF's budget so they're able to do their job more effectively? So I have seen um, in this year's appropriation ask um, that there is some request for additional staff, but not nearly what they would need to really inspect these folks once every three years. And again, some people would say that's not adequate. What percentage of manufacturers is the ATF able to inspect? Well, so in 2020, COVID being a wrinkle, they only inspected 7%. And how many gun manufacturers are there now in the United States? Well, today there are 18,000 licensed gun manufacturers. And so there's another phenomenon happening because of this component-based craze where dealers are now getting manufacturing licenses. With a manufacturing license, you have the flexibility to both own a gun shop and sell retail and build your own guns from scratch or assemble guns from parts and resell them. So if you have a dealer's license, all you can do is sell guns or sell lower receivers. You can't help people build them or build them and sell them resale. But with a manufacturing license, you can do all of the above. And that's one of the other ironies here is that as the federal government through the ATF tries to clamp down on this through regulations. And as states try to do it through their piecemeal legislation, what they keep, seem to be doing is opening up little niche markets for folks in the gun industry, you know, that want to push the envelope or provide products for their customers um, that wouldn't be there without those regulations. So it's a cat and mouse game. Jason Grotto, thanks very much for taking the time to explain all of this to us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate your interest. I wanted to hear from a small gun maker, which is how I recently wound up at a gun range outside Denver. And just a note, you'll hear the sound of gunfire in this part of the episode. All right, now bend at the hips, bend the knees, body weight forward, shoulders in front of the hips, good. Both eyes open on the target, extend. All right, now keep both eyes open, focused on that target, and touch the trigger. And then That's Rob Pincus. He's a gun safety instructor, a former law enforcement officer, and a staunch defender of gun rights. He's teaching me how to fire a new gun his company, called Avidity Arms, is getting ready to bring to market. I'm a total novice and not doing much harm to the paper target in front of me. There you go, finger off the trigger. Come back to the ready position. All right, just breathe. All right, so it's a little bit high, but when you drove the gun out, you were a little bit like this. Pinkus believes gun owners and sellers have a responsibility to make sure the weapons in their possession are handled safely but that the government should get out of the way when it comes to deciding who can own what. He has a federal gun manufacturing license, and he follows the law. 
but he says background checks are an infringement on his rights. If you ask me to put it to a vote tomorrow, I say no background checks. However, I fill out a 4473 whenever I want to do a traditional purchase from a dealer because, like most gun owners, I'm complying with laws that I think are unfair, unrealistic, and probably unjust under our system. There are people who you believe should not own guns. Does it bother you at all that people like that are very easily able to purchase guns? It bothers me. Does it concern you? Not to a level to, at which you cross a threshold where I think your right or my right to purchase a gun should be impeded. So, there, so I do not think that the fact that someone that I believe at that point in time should not have immediate access to a gun should mean that no one should have immediate access to a gun. Because that's what you're saying. If, if you have to go through a background check, no one has immediate access to just go pick up a gun. I can't loan a friend a gun. I can't sell a friend a gun. I can't give a friend a gun. Because somebody out there on earth right now, I believe, shouldn't have immediate access to a gun. You know whose responsibility that is? The person transferring them the gun. What if the person is just buying it essentially from a stranger and they're not a mental health professional, they don't know where the background is and they don't have a responsibility to uh, find that out. So They don't have a legal obligation or they don't have the responsibility. I believe they have the responsibility. I don't think they should have the legal obligation. The gun he plans to sell isn't an AR-15 style rifle like the ones we heard about earlier. It's a small handgun. There's nothing unusual about its appearance. To my eye, it looks fairly similar to another pistol he's brought along to the range, a Glock that he pulls from a concealed holster in the waistband of his jeans. So we'll be using two guns today. The first is a uh, production prototype of the Avidity Arms PD-10. This is the gun that we're bringing to market this year. It's been a, a long project with some COVID interruptions and other interruptions, but that is the single stack nine millimeter. Um, it's, it holds 10 rounds in the magazine and one round um, in the barrel of the gun. So your capacity when you're One of its notable features isn't the gun itself, but how he intends to sell it. More with Rob Pincus after the break. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. There are a lot of handguns on the market. Rob Pincus plans to sell his new gun in a way that's unconventional. Customers can buy the complete gun from him. But he also wants to make plans available for free to anyone who wants to make their own version of the gun's plastic frame on a 3D printer. The rest of the gun's metal parts, they can buy from him. The major manufacturers have not embraced opportunities to let people utilize their technology, their designs, their, their parts, their engineering with guns that they manufacture at home. So in other words, you know, these major manufacturers will sell you a stripped frame or lower receiver quite often, and then you can buy parts and construct or assemble a gun, but it's still, they, they did the work on the frame. And obviously there's a huge number of people that enjoy doing that work, that consider it a little bit of an art form, especially in the 3D printing world. If we're able to provide the files so that people can 
3D print a frame that is based on my design, but then they're going to put their initials on it. They're going to print it in whatever color they want. They might adjust the palm swell a little bit um, or the length of pull of the gun a little bit. In other words, the distance between the, the front of the trigger and the back of the grip. They might increase that a little bit or even decrease that a little bit as long as it was, is within the design tolerances and the parts will still fit, then they can actually customize. He says he won't make much money this way, since the frame is often the most expensive part. So then why is he giving away the plans? For the 3D printers, that's a relatively small community, and absolutely we would be essentially losing money on that proposition, but I believe it's incredibly important to show support from the traditional manufacturing side of the firearms industry to the private gun makers, and, and hopefully it encourages other much larger gun makers to support them as well. If a gunmaker sells a customer a complete gun, or just its frame or lower receiver, federal law requires it to have a serial number, and the buyer has to complete a background check. Serial numbers are one of the tools that law enforcement uses to track the origin of guns used in crimes. For this reason, in a handful of states, it's against the law to 3D print your own gun, or you have to apply for a serial number if you do. I asked Pincus if there's a reason not to put a serial number on these guns. Some states, uh, Massachusetts, California, Connecticut, allow it, but federally there is no requirement or even mechanism for it. So there's a logistical problem with it. There's also, a, I think, obviously the civil rights issue of, of the, the infringement, the restriction, the, the idea that I have to report to the government. One of the questions I, I get asked sometimes is, how am I gonna feel if a school gets shot up with one of my guns? I'm gonna feel bad. But if I haven't accepted that possibility, I have no business selling guns. And if you haven't accepted the possibility that when you're working in a gun shop and you're selling a gun across the counter, that that person could kill themselves, kill their kids, kill 16 kids in a school down the street, you have no business selling that gun across the counter. And if we take that seriously, and we preach that in our community, I think people will be a little bit more careful about who they're selling the gun across the counter to, whether the government's involved or not. I was just speaking to a reporter on a story that Bloomberg did about the proliferation of small gun manufacturers. And one of the points of that story was that um, individual states have varying restrictions on kinds of guns, in particular AR-15 style rifles. And the larger manufacturers sometimes don't accommodate for those different state variations. And so these smaller manufacturers have started to manufacture guns that in the narrowest sense meet the restrictions of these states. Is that something that you're part of? Like, how, how does that play into this kind of growing uh, small manufacturers, which are really aimed at trying to, uh, you know, comply with, with state laws? Yeah, that, I think that's the issue, is, is there's a lot of talk around this, and at the end of the day, what you're describing is the gun industry's attempt to comply with rules, which in most cases we think are unjust, convoluted, and, and unfair, uh, and probably unconstitutional. As, as more and more of these laws are tested, we're seeing more and more of them ruled unconstitutional by the Supreme Court, and that's good. In the meantime, it is good that these companies are, are trying to solve these problems for people that want to have certain capabilities with firearms, whether it's for defense, for recreation, for hunting, for whatever it may be, inside of these more restricted areas. So sometimes we see major manufacturers adjust their product line um, in response. For example, um, re reduced capacity magazines. So you've got a standard capacity. A state says they're gonna restrict uh, the level of, of ownership 
magazines one can have in that state. So the major manufacturers will adjust that and they'll have a version with a reduced capacity. Um, handguns, you know, rifles, that happens a lot. Here in, in Colorado, we're restricted um, at the state level from having magazine, new magazines over 15 rounds. So uh, any new gun that's manufactured in the community that gets sold in Colorado, that manufacturer has to ship it to Colorado for sale through dealers with magazine capacity 15 or less, even if it might hold 18, 19, 20 being sold in Kansas, you know, right across the border. Um, as far as my company goes, uh, we're selling our first product, our first firearm product is a semi-automatic handgun with a magazine capacity of 10 rounds, which is incidental to the, whatever the laws may be, it's, that's the, the size. We talked about the ergonomics really being the driving design factor. Uh, if we had a, a customer base in a state where a restriction at some point shows up and they say, well, you can only have five rounds, I would tell them honestly, there's probably more efficient designs. If you, if you can only have five rounds in your gun, this gun probably isn't your gun, but if you want this gun, we'll sell you one, and we absolutely would provide it a five-round magazine. The increasing popularity of making guns at home that are beyond the scope of gun regulations has caught the attention of several states. California is trying to regulate machines that are sometimes sold with gun kits. Those allow buyers to make handgun frames or lower receivers at home from a solid block of aluminum. In Delaware, a federal judge blocked a new state law to prohibit certain build-at-home guns. And in New York, a Democratic lawmaker is drafting legislation that would outlaw modifications that companies make to ban guns that allow them to be sold. We'll keep an eye on this story and report back to you when we know more. Thanks to Rob Pincus and Jason Grotto for joining me today. You can read Jason's and Michael Smith's story about small gun makers on Bloomberg.com. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Read today's story and subscribe to our daily newsletter at Bloomberg.com slash Big Take. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with questions or comments to Big Take at Bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicky Bergolina. Our senior producer is Catherine Fink. Our producers are Mo Barrow and Michael Folero. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Original music by Leo Sidron. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.